Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. Welcome to this episode of Long Final. I'm Michael Cummin. And I'm Mark Twyer, and we're continuing our series of conversations with the people who make up the world of aviation. Well, this week we're joined by Donald Young from Technical Flight Solutions. Uh, Donald, welcome to the program. Your company motto seems to be a one-stop, regulatory compliant operator. There's a challenge. Regulations, are, I suppose, are designed to keep us safe and can also represent a major challenge to an operator. What was the event that resulted in you developing the business in the first place? Michael, Mark, good afternoon. Delighted to be here. Regulations sometimes are an opportunity, I suppose. And what happened was Technical Flight Solutions, myself and two of my colleagues, we set up the company there about three years ago, simply because of regulations that we knew were coming into force regarding the whole area of technical flights, uh, such as demonstration flights, maintenance check flights, delivery flights, ferry flights, etc. And it's an area of aviation that is extremely necessary, but sometimes overlooked. And what happened in regards to the regulations was actually a crash in 2008. There was a 320 on a basically a handover flight from one leasing company to another or one operator to another. And it actually crashed, sadly, outside Perpignan and killed everybody on board. Now, in the subsequent investigation, it was deemed that they were doing a technical flight and that the crew perhaps had not been trained to the level that they should have been trained to be doing the flight but also that this whole area of flying was in itself unregulated. So that was the trigger event that led to the regulations which came into force in autumn of 2019. And these regulations are specifically around the area of what's called maintenance check flights. So for the the boffins out there, we have our EASA regulations, we have our Part CAT, the Commercial Air Transport Regulations, You've got the part NCC, which is non-commercial complex regulations. A lot of your listeners will be familiar with the part SPO, which is special purpose operations regulations in regards to, you know, parachute drops, uh, crop spraying, uh, ambulance flights, et cetera, et cetera, that fall outside the area of commercial air transport, but are a large part of aviation. So this is where TFS or Technical Flight Solutions was born. We were born in relation to the implementation of the regs around technical flights, specifically maintenance check flights. Do you either give uh, an operator gain or do you take away pain? Which of the businesses are you in? Uh, we like to think that we're doing both. Like, you know, we're, <laughs> we're one of those new companies that like to recognize the pain 
and take away the pain from somebody who's do, looking to do a maintenance check flight or a demonstration flight or a ferry flight. And what we do is we say, guys, you don't have to worry about that anymore because our company has been set up in such a way that we actually comply with all the part NCC regs. We comply with the part SPO spec MCF regs. Uh, our crews are all trained in accordance to the specifications for conducting maintenance check flights. Uh, we work in partnership actually with another Irish based company, Six West. So ourselves and Six West work together to provide a complete package. We have the crew and the compliance, the regulations, Six West have a huge level of operational experience and back end experience, etc. So we're quite a good symbiotic partner at the moment. We work well together. And like I said, we're providing the compliance and the regulatory compliance and the crew. Six West provide a lot of the operational back end. And we like to think, Mark, that we take away the problems that people have. So from a pilot's point of view, what type of maintenance would require a maintenance check flight? Good question, Mark. And actually, it's a very topical question at the moment. Even for the introduction of the Boeing 737 MAX or the new introduction, reintroduction of the Boeing 737 MAX, every MAX has been grounded and every MAX is grounded until a level of maintenance action is, is applied to the MAXs uh, to, to adjust the sensors, etc. that we all know from the, the MCAS system. But in order for those aircraft then to re-enter service, they have to do what's called an operational readiness flight. Uh, EASA have come out with the safety directive. Uh, Boeing have been fully involved in, in helping them construct the safety directive that there's actually a flight that has to be done by qualified pilots that fall under a maintenance check uh, flight regulations in order for those aircraft to actually re-enter service. So those aircraft all have their certificate of airworthiness is uh, suspended at the moment. So in order to regain their certificate of airworthiness, they have to do an operational readiness flight on a permit to fly. And that operational readiness flight can only be conducted under the part SPO spec MCF of the regs, which is where we come in. Our pilots have been trained to comply with that part of the reg. Um, our pilots then have done the Boeing 737 MAX retraining for pilots to fly the aircraft. So then our pilots then are able to conduct the operational readiness flight on behalf of any customer that needs an operational readiness flight to be conducted. Now, some of the larger organizations, like the biggest operator in Ireland, you know, one of the, the low cost carriers would have their pilots trained to that level. So they would have their pilots, uh, they'll all have done the, the upgrade to 737 MAX. They'll have part MCF covered within their own uh, OMA, OMB, OMC, OMD, within their own regulatory constraints within the commercial air transport. So their pilots will be able to do those flights on behalf of that low-cost carrier. But there would be a lot of other airlines and leasing companies without that level of depth or experience. And that's the gap that we plug. You're saying pilots in, in, in airlines would be, for the most part, trained to standard operating procedures, but this is not standard. Is that, that That's primarily what we're saying. Correct. Correct. Uh, correct, Michael. This is not standard. This is over and above what your standard or your normal pilot would do on a daily, daily basis. Um, the pilots who do this type of flying, uh, we have over 40 pilots in our books. Nobody has less than 15,000 hours of flying. They've all been involved in this level of flying for four years. They all have experience of maintenance check flights, demonstration flights, ferry flights. I like to refer to it nearly as the gray area of flying. You know, it's just slightly outside the norm. But to be able to do this safely and within the regs, you have to have more training than the, the pilot who goes to work today to fly from Dublin to Malaga in return. For example, myself and the co-founder of the company, Owen O'Sullivan, 
We worked on Etihad for many years and we were involved in the delivering of new aircraft off the production line in Toulouse and Hamburg from 2013. So again, for a lot of your listeners, there's nothing nicer than that new air, aircraft smell. You know, you get into it and turn the key, it's nice. But for us to do the acceptance flights on behalf of Etihad, uh, Etihad uh, put us through a course that Airbus offered at the time, actually, which fell out of the crash in Perpignan. It's an in-service aircraft technical flight course. Myself and Owen and a number of other pilots in Etihad would have gone and done two days of ground school, two days of simulator. We took up an anti-aircraft. We flew the whole profile with an instructor from Airbus showing us how to fly the profile. We then would have done an observation of a profile flight being flown. We then would have done one under training ourselves, and then we would have done another one under check ourselves. So it was quite an extensive program of training. I won't tell you the cost because it was commercially sensitive, but for four people to do this level of training uh, was a six-digit figure. Right. One of these big airliners doesn't perform the same empty as it does with a, a whole lot of passengers on board. Would that be a fair, fair observation? Uh, I suppose it'd be a little bit more responsive, but we would generally have quite an amount of fuel for doing these, air, these flights. So you're looking at more or less the same figures. If you're looking at an Airbus 320, 321, you're looking at an operating weight of about 60,000 kilograms. Uh, whether that's passengers or fuel, uh, the weights aren't vastly different than what you would encounter in a normal day of a, of a double London's out of Dublin. And speaking of that, uh, those maintenance check flights or maybe a customer acceptance flights, what's the kind of standard profile that you fly? What are you checking for as a pilot when you, you get into one of these aircraft? Um, the full demonstration profile is quite extensive, Mark. You're doing a lot of ground checks uh, before you even get airborne. You're checking your engine parameters during the takeoff. But it all really kicks off above 10,000 feet. Uh, the checks that we would have been trained for, you would have been doing what's called maximum angle of bank. So you're turning the aircraft over to 67 degrees angle of bank on an Airbus, uh, which is quite a rapid level of turn. Like your standard turn for a passenger flight would be up to 30 degrees angle of bank. So if you're looking out the left wing or the right wing as you're leaving Dublin and you feel the guys turning the aircraft, you can feel that. You can look out the, the wing, you can see the ground. You know, it's one of those accelerating parts of the flight that everybody enjoys. Now, double that and then add a little bit more to it. That's the sort of stuff that we'll be doing. We'll be doing maximum rate of climbs up to 6,000, 7,000 feet a minute rate of climb at around 16 to 25,000 feet. Then you get up to 37,000 feet and you're doing a depressurization check. So you're actually doing something that you never want to see. You're going to depressurize the aircraft and drop the masks. So we all see the emergency announcements on board the aircraft and the demonstration from the cabin crew. And in the event, if the mask drop drops, now you never want that to happen on a passenger flight, but we're actually checking that on a standard profile demonstration flight that the masks do drop. Then you're doing other checks such as high speed protection checks, low speed protection checks. Uh, you're checking your standby electrical system. You're starting your auxiliary power unit. You're checking your, your bleed system. Does it work? So basically you're, you're giving the aircraft a full workout to make sure that all the normal systems work, all the backup systems work as well. One of my favorite ones, actually, a little story for you, was I was doing a uh, demonstration flight over the North, uh, North Sea maybe six or seven years ago, and I had to check the SATCOM. So I dialed a mate of mine in Malahide, and he was driving his car at the time with his kids, and he goes, I wouldn't use the expletives that he used at the time, but he said, where are you? I said, I'm at 37,000 feet over the North Sea. Where are you? He said, I'm driving my kids to school. But that was the SATCOM checked on the, on the, air, on the aircraft. 
So then every acceptance flight then I did to check the SATCOM, I phoned him. <laughs> on the school run. <laughs> on the school run or whatever. I, I was referred to in uh, various terms from that particular gentleman every time I phoned him. <laughs> I'll bet. How did you get into this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I suppose years ago, I always had a fascination with flying. I grew up in South Derry, not known as an aviation hub, I have to say. But uh, <laughs> part of my, my mom and dad were teachers, but we had a small farm. And part of the farm was part of a World War II United States Air Force base on the shores of Loch Ness. Uh, part of our farm with Nissen huts that the guys would use as, as accommodation in World War II. Uh, there was an old runway ran through a part of the, one of the fields. Um, the, the old control tower was still there. And I remember just being fascinated as a kid, just walking around this area and seeing that's a runway and that's a control tower. And these aircraft were taking off in World War II from a United States Air Force base in South Derry, just outside Mockerfelt. And my dad would, would have been a kid. And, you know, he would have been saying things like they would go to the Yanks, as they were termed at the time. And do you have any gum chum, you know, would have been one of the things that the kids would have said to the Air Force men in the area. So I think that piqued my interest. And then I went to study in Queen's University in Belfast, and I was extremely lucky. I was in Freshers' Week, looking around at the clubs, joining the GEA club or joining the you know scuba diving club or whatever. But the University Air Squadron, run by the RAF, were actually there in Queen's University as well. Now I hadn't actually hadn't heard much about University Air Squadrons. I knew there were things like this in the UK, but I didn't actually know there was one in Belfast. So I put my name down. I literally just put my name down, and then the next thing I got a phone call. I went and did an interview with the University Air Squadron, then I did a medical, and then a week later then I got a phone call to say, Donald, listen, well done, you're part of the University Air Squadron. So I ended up doing two years of flying on a Wednesday afternoon or a Saturday and with summer camps in RAF Lossiemouth in North Scotland, and the next year with a summer camp down in HMS Lee and Solent outside the Isle of Wight. I flew the, the Bulldog for two years, I had my first solo up in Belfast City Airport in the Bulldog, and then went, and uh, the RAF instruction was fantastic. You went from there to basically aerobatics straight away because aerobatics taught you how to fly an aircraft. So I remember spending several hours uh, upside down, spin, spin recovery, stall recovery, and I remember one day going up with an instructor, and uh, the instructor was laughing. He said, I'm going to try to make you puke today from spin and spin recovery in the Bulldog. Because the bulldog was vicious in a spin. So we climbed this little bulldog to 10,000 feet and then bang, straight into a spin. So we spun it to 7,000 feet and then you did the recovery at 7,000 to recover by 5,000 feet. And this thing was spinning around like a top, right? And I remember doing four, five, six of these spin exercises back up to 10,000, spinner back down to seven, back up to 10, spin back down to seven. And I remember going back in again and with the little canopy of the bulldog, you could click it open and fly at 70 knots because the instructor was about to puke out the side of the aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain amount of pride in that story, isn't there, Mark? Oh, <laughs> I was delighted. I was delighted. And then Jeez. in the summer of 1989, I'm giving away my age now, Aer Lingus were advertising for cadets. And Aer Lingus, the cadet program was always a great program. Even to last year, just to, before COVID hit, they were, Aer Lingus still do a cadet program whenever they can. And uh, I was in my second year in college, just on my exams, loved the flying. And I saw the ad then for the Aer Lingus cadetship and I applied. So I remember doing my second interview for the Aer Lingus cadetship. I was actually over with the University Air Squadron in the Isle of Wight doing my, my three weeks of flying in the summertime. 
got a phone call, Donald, can you come back to Dublin uh, tomorrow for an interview? I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So they organized a flight from Heathrow to Dublin and they organized a pass to the cockpit so I could sit in the jump seat for the flight. So I remember sitting in the jump seat and I remember, I can't remember the captain's name, but it was the first 77400 EFIS uh, that Aer Lingus actually got, right? And I remember he, the captain explained EFIS and it was the electronic flight instrument system and it was such a big step forward from the old, you know, the, the, the dials and needles, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember then going to the interview and Captain Barney Crohan, who's a well-known figure in Aer Lingus, was doing the interview. And actually, Willie Walsh could have been on the interview panel as well, right? And Captain Crohan asked me, okay, Donald, you came over this morning, what airplane did you fly on? And I said, a 77400. And he said, okay. And he, uh, he sort of raised his eyebrow. They said, tell me about the 734. And I said, well, it's an EFIS aircraft, electronic flight instrument system, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember Captain Crohan looking at, and it was Willie Walsh actually, and whispering, do we have those? <laughs> right? Because it was the first week of entry into service of the 73 EFIS in Aer Lingus. Right. Yeah. So by a remarkable quirk, a remarkable you know, little bit of fate, I ended up getting a jump seat to my interview in one of the first flights on a 737-400 that Aer Lingus actually ever had. And I just thought, wow, you know, what a, what a quirk of fate. And, you know, happy days after that, I got the cadetship. I went to Scotland in 1989 with a great bunch of guys who have been my best friends ever since. Flew with Aer Lingus until 2010 and then uh, had an offer then to go to Etihad. And I just had to take the, the offer to go to Etihad. Went to Etihad, flew with the, the 320, 330s with Etihad. Then went to Air Seychelles on a, on a secondment from Etihad. So we call those the hardship years. Spent two and a half years in Air Seychelles flying 320s and 330s out of a tropical island in the Indian Ocean. And then came back to Ireland in 2017. Nice airplane in your logbook. Uh, I started out in Fokker 50s and I loved them. Yeah, really did. But the nicest aircraft in the, on the logbook, um, I've flown Fokkers, 7.3s, and then it's been, mostly, it's been Airbus since uh, 1998. The best is the 330-200. Love the three thirty two hundred, like it just does exactly as it says in the tin. And, and Mark, I know you're a Boeing guy, <laughs> but hey, listen, us Airbus guys, we have our lunches and sandwiches in a civilized manner. We actually eat them on a table. <laughs> now, Watching the laptop, yeah. jockeys, you just like burgers, you know that's okay, yeah, that's it. right? But we like to think that there's a little bit of French sophistication in the Airbus and civilization, so. I do enjoy eating from the table. Uh, Donald, you're the way you, when, when, when people get together uh, with a business, uh, they also have a couple of ways they want to run their business. Uh, it's often described as the culture of the business. What, what's, the, what's the style that, that you as an organization take in, in, in TFS? How do you do things? I suppose we've been up and running now for just over a year. Um, engagement. We look after the pilots very well. We try to engage with the pilots very well. Uh, the nature of the business is you have to be very, very flexible. So we have uh, quite a number of people on our books that, that we've put through an operator conversion course, which is part of the regs. Now, historically, organizations like ourselves would have charged pilots to do that training themselves. Right, not charge them, but they would have made the pilots paid for that training themselves. We haven't. We pay for that training, 
right? So we'll now look at recurrent training this autumn and into next year, et cetera, et cetera. And instead of expecting the pilots to pay for all of that themselves, we'll look at how we can do it together. So I think, uh, Michael, it's very much a symbiotic relationship with, with the pilots that we have uh, that work for us, right? It's, it's not regular work. You can work for you know, 15 days in a row because you're stuck on a 737 in, in Goose Bay, or you could be doing a day here because you're doing a demonstration in Shannon, a day next week because you're doing a demonstration in Dublin. And then in three weeks time, you could be doing a, dem- a delivery from, you know, Dublin to the Philippines. We have to be flexible. Our pilots have to be flexible. It's a very mature relationship. It's nearly, I don't want to use the word big boy aviation, but it, it nearly is big boy aviation. The guys that we work with, they all have 15, 16, 17,000 hours. They're all highly experienced. They know what to do. There's a huge element of trust. But likewise, they trust us as well. We treat them as adults, as you would expect to be treated. We will cover the cost of the operator conversion course. We don't take it out of their pockets. We'll help cover the cost of some of the training. We help cover the cost of some of the transport. And then every three or four weeks, what I do as well is I just write an email to the guys. And let everybody know what's going on. And the feedback that we get from that is tremendous because everybody then feels involved. Everybody feels as if they're part of a team. Everybody enjoys this type of flying as well. You know, it is slightly left of center. You have to be with a certain mindset to do it because it's, it's not as structured as airline flying is. You know, you have to trust the guys that they'll apply the MEL restrictions when MEL restrictions come up. You can be in Bangkok dealing with a tech snag. You've got to deal with the tech snag because we don't have a full maintenance department back here. So because of that level of trust and it's a two-way thing, I feel that we trust our pilots a lot and they trust us a lot as well. And that way it's a mature adult sensible relationship and that's the type of business and culture that i want to be involved in and that's the type of culture that i want to promote as well ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dole, there's an awful lot of airplanes on the ground at the moment with birds' nests in them. What's going to happen? Yeah, and that is a huge topic of conversation in, in this part of the industry. It'll be up to organizations like ourselves and with a lot of the camos, the check and maintenance organizations, to ensure that all the checks that are necessary before returning an aircraft to operation are carried out correctly and that any maintenance check flights are carried out in accordance with the specifications of the manufacturers to make sure that those aircraft have been flown and checked correctly and that the aircraft are returned safely to operation. Um, I did read an article over the weekend about the amount of work required to return various aircraft to operations. Like if you're looking at a 380 that's been on the ground for a year or a year and a half, the amount of work required to get a 380 back in the air is absolutely colossal. Like you're looking at several weeks of maintenance checks. There was a report about mold in some aircraft that had been closed and put on the ground for a year. So you're going through the cabin, you're removing mold, you're cleaning seats, and then you're checking, as you said, Michael, you're checking all your pitot tubes, your static tubes, any vents, any intakes for uh, insect larvae, for bees, for birds' nests. Um, in Etihad, we had a cat that crawled into a bleed air intake. So then they actually inspected right to the end of the bleed air intake and uh, there was a little litter of kittens. You know, so these, these are stories from real life. Right? They all have to be inspected. There will be occasions when there are technical issues when returning aircraft to service. And that's why the work we do is quite important. Like we make sure that those aircraft, when they go back to service, are safe. And you, you mentioned 8320s there, the maintenance check flights you do. What other types do you cover at TFS? We actually we cover ATR, uh, ATR 4272, Embraer 190s, 195s, uh, the Dash 8s. And then we cover the whole range of Airbus 320, 330, 350. Uh, we even have 340 experience. And then we have the whole gamut of the Boeing as well. Boeing 73, 74, 76, 777 and 78. Uh, well, we've worked extensively with the Irish Aviation Authority as well over the last two years uh, to make sure that what we do is compliance. And th I have to say the backup from the Irish Aviation Authority has been fantastic. Um, I think because the leasing business is so big in Ireland and it's all been born from Guinness PD Aviation, there's a huge level of knowledge as to what's required for this type of business. So with the Irish Aviation Authority... Uh, we've submitted our full set of manuals and actually that all stipulates what we can and can't do. So that stipulates our flight time, duty time limitations. It stipulates the fuel on board, the same fuel on board policy as an airline would have. So we have to carry the same fuel for alternates, the same fuel for emergencies, the same contingency fuels, etc., etc. We have to now be as safe as an airline. Donald, there's also, of course, the interesting point for for some people is that you will often take an aircraft that might be designed for short haul and have to deliver it over a very long distance. How does that work? Yeah, uh, good question, Michael. Um, extremely complex. It's an extremely complex operation. We, years ago, took a short 360 out of South Africa to the Seychelles and then all the way to the Caribbean. And the short C60, I remember well, had to be fitted out with a big fuel tank in the middle of the aircraft with half of the seats removed. And the engineers then had to rig a, a fuel system to transfer fuel from that big center tank into the actual tanks of the shorts for then that to feed into the actual engines to give it the range that it, it needed to even to get anywhere. Now, now that was an abnormal situation. 
to take an ATR, shall we say, from, from Shannon to the States, it's a complex operation because you've got to think about things like, do we have emergency equipment on board? Do we need to hire a flotation device? Do the guys need immersion suits if they're going over Greenland, if something should go wrong? Does it have a HF radio? Do we need to get a SATCOM? Do we need to basically carry a SATCOM on board the aircraft? And then there's the logistics of, okay, how do we get this thing to the States? You'll end up doing many hops. You'll end up going from maybe Shannon or Dublin to the Faroe Islands and then up to Reykjavik. As long as the volcano isn't erupting in Iceland, you're okay. And then you're crossing to Greenland. You're into places that, you know, people may have heard of, like Sunderstrom Fjord. And then from Sunderstrom Fjord, you're dropping down into Newfoundland. You're thinking, okay, it's January, February, March. Is it going to be minus 20 with hard packed snow and dry? Or is it going to be a blizzard? So you're taking all those weather considerations into, into play as well. And then from Goose Bay, then you're dropping into Halifax, down along the eastern seaboard. And then you're into the States and then you can go to wherever you need to go to. So it's just quite a logistical exercise. And I suppose that's part of the job, Michael, that excites me because it's outside the norm. It's not just going from A to B. It's you've got to think, OK, I'm going south of Greenland, over Greenland. I'm like, what's the weather going to be like? Is it the same as it is in Western Europe? Is it going to go from we took a ferry flight there recently from Cairo to to Texas. Right. And it was you're leaving Cairo and it's nice at this time of year, 24 degrees and dry. And then you're into Shannon and it's a 35 knot crosswind in the West. And then you're going from there up to Reykjavik to refuel. And then you're nipping down into Goose Bay and you land minus 20 and there has been a blizzard. And then you're heading off to the States. So you're running the whole gamut of aviation there. You know, you're going from, you know, hot and dry to maybe blizzards to foggy situations, etc. So you got to take it all on board and run that whole gamut. Well, Dylan, as we, we wrap up our, our chat, what's the big message you have for them at the moment? I think, Michael, the biggest uh, thing we have at the moment is just the awareness of the regulations and the regulations are actually there. We are part of a journey towards increased safety and increased compliance within this area of aviation. And what we see is uh, the level of awareness of the regulations um, we're constantly trying to improve. We're try- constantly trying to get the message into industry. Guys, these regulations now exist. Um, we need to be compliant. We need to do these flights under the control of, a, of an organization such as ourselves. The day of getting two guys onto an aircraft that you know just to do this type of operation has gone. You know, it went in 2008 and it's certainly long past the sell by date now. The people in our industry are actually embracing this. Like this is increasing safety. Uh, it's increasing compliance. It's increasing the quality of, of what we do. We're constantly working with with maintenance companies, with leasing companies, etc., to get the message out there, guys. These regulations exist. We need to comply with them, and we need to move forward in this industry and drive it towards a safer, more compliant industry. Donald Young from Technical Flight Solutions, thanks for joining us on the long final from Squawk 7000, from me and from Mark. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Long Final from Squawk7000.ie. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and do tell your friends. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.